We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Esther chapter 4, as tonight we'll learn through the life of Esther, that if you care, you will dare. As a matter of fact, Helen Keller even said that life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. Unfortunately, most of us like to play it safe. Uh, there's no real caring, there's no daring, there's no risk-taking, there's no steps of faith. And uh, I just really encourage you guys to remember that maxim that they go nowhere who do not dare. That's why Albert Einstein put it a different way. He said, a ship is always safe at the shore, but that is not what it was built for. You know, and sometimes what we like to do, even as Christians, is we like to play it safe and we'll kick it there at the shore and God wants more. And what I've learned in life, and the bottom line is, is that Esther is such a beautiful example for us. Because if God can take her, the orphan girl, the poor girl, the foreigner, the stranger to the land, the one that no one would give a second chance or glance and take her, her and make her queen and use her to save the nation, then why can't God use your life? See, that's what we're here for. We were saved by the blood of Jesus. I know most of you here are Christians. And, and then, you know, you wonder, well, why doesn't God just take us to heaven right after he saves us? The answer is because he wants us to get to know him, to worship him, and then he wants to use our life and so just think, if everyone here caught that vision and to the maximum of their life and their potential, they sought God and they did this great work of serving Him the way that Esther did. You know, but a lot of times we don't want to take you know, that step of faith. I mean, I think of where would I be today if my friend that I worked with did not invite me to church? Sometimes people are so afraid as Christians of being rejected that they won't even extend an invitation to a friend who's down and out to just say, hey, how about going to church one day? Or how about, you know, Jesus? I mean, you know, we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of death. And what it does is it, is it paralyzes us to fall out of the will of God. You guys, I just pray you would know that our God is alive and well and He wants to use us and all of us really have to have that simple, I think the motto of Samuel is, here am I, Isaiah, here am I, send me, Lord. That's who Esther was. And we see in our story today, really it kind of takes heart, especially towards the end of the chapter. But, but we start in verse 1, where the Bible speaks of Mordecai. It says, when, when Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now most of you here probably know the background to Esther, but just in case you don't, just to kind of bring you up to speed, what had happened was, uh, 
You know, this guy Haman rose to power and he was really representative of the devil, a perpetual enemy of God's people. And because of the fact that Mordecai, who was a Jew, didn't bow down to him, he said, you know what, we need to do this plan so that we can exterminate, wipe out not just Mordecai, but all the Jews. We're going to set a day where we're going to get the whole wide world against them, kill them, make it legal, and then plunder all their goods. What it was, it's the agenda of the enemy. It's been that way ever since the Jews began, that he wanted to wipe them off the face of the map, right? And so, you know, when the word gets out, it becomes published law, it's legal. Uh, Mordecai founds out, and what we see is that you know, the decree goes out and then the cry goes up. You know, the, the day is set for really the whole wide world to go against the Jews, to kill them. Undoubtedly now convinced that the king says it's a good thing, that it's legal. And in the process, everyone can become rich. It was kind of like the Nazis saying that the Jews are bad. Let's kill them. Okay, same thing. And so, you know, Mordecai, when he finds out the plan, he's uh, mortified. He tears his clothes. You know, that's what they would do. I mean, he changes into sackcloth and ashes. I don't know if you've ever tried sackcloth. And I encourage you one day, go somewhere, find some sackcloth. It's just the most awful, you know, material you could think of. And, you know, you put it on, you put ashes. And what that is, is a sign of mourning. And what he does is he just cries out loud bitterly. I mean, it's just an amazing picture. And it wasn't just him, though in every province where other Jews found out this plan to exterminate them, they, they did the same thing. That's what we read right here that Mordecai did fasting, weeping, wailing in sackcloth and ashes. Now, I, I've shared with you guys as we've gone through the book, I'm sure I mentioned it every time that we teach that God is not mentioned by word in the book of Esther. There's no mention of him. But now as we see them fasting and weeping and wailing and crying, he is seen here not in their words, but, but in their ways. And I'll tell you what, this is a quick side note. I know I want to you know, spiritualize it a little bit. I mean, you can say all the right words and you can maybe... You know, you got the Christian lingo and, and, you know, worship, so to speak. And maybe it's not real worship. You're just singing. And I mean, words are just words. But do you really want to see God save your family, save your nation, move in your heart, move in your loved one's heart? You know, when you start crying and weeping and wailing and fasting and seeking God with sackcloth and ashes, it's then... That I think in one sense you're saying to God, I, I, I'm serious about this, Lord. A lot of times what happens is we say we want God to move and we kind of fling one up every once in a while. But then we go and we live our own life and we're watching TV and we're having a good time. And it's like, man, do you really care? Do you really believe that, you know, God can move? Do you really want him to move? Why wouldn't you? Why couldn't you even skip one meal? Some people never fast. You know, it's interesting. We're going to talk about fasting today. And then on Sunday, it just happens. And another time of fasting in the book of Mark, where we are as we're teaching through the Bible. And he says, sometimes these, these kind don't come out except through prayer and fasting. 
You know, and we want God to move because we know the devil is indeed moving, right? And so even though what we see right here is the word of God or the word God is not mentioned, their ways, what we see is that they're seeking him in the ways that they're praying and weeping and wailing. They're desperate. They're, I, I think as I was reading through commentaries, they were even saying that they're repentant. I mean, they know they need God. It was more than surface stuff, more than superficial sentiment. I mean, their actions are now lining up. It was truly coming from the heart, you guys. And sometimes, you know, if we're really sincere, this is what we will see. You see, the Jews were under this death sentence, and that has a way, kind of a waking you up, right? I'm I'm reminded of that passage in the book of Joel. I'll read it to you. It's Joel 2. In verse 12 to 14, it says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. God says, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Come back to him. Return To the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? You know, and and we can take that and I think we can apply it into our lives individually, but I was thinking of our nation, I was thinking of the United States of America. And I think all of us here would agree that we deserve to be judged. Remember Billy Graham? He said, if God doesn't judge, you know, United States of America, he has to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, in in that sense. But what if? What if? He says, who knows if he will turn and relent and leave behind a blessing because you caught the vision, because we caught the vision, because... God began to stir us up by His Spirit because we turn to Him with all of our heart. We're not just plain church. We love Him and we believe that He can do a great work. I, I don't know what God will do. And I can take that, you know, and then we can apply it to, to your life personally. I mean, hopefully all of you here are doing good with God. You love God. You're praying and seeking Him the way that you should. You're living and loving and all that kind of stuff. But what if there's a couple of you here, you're struggling, and God is saying tonight is the night that you get your life right. Tonight is the night where all you got to do is you turn back to God. This is the type of God He is. He's, he's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's merciful. And what God will do is God will just bless you with a new beginning here tonight. You know, maybe it's time that tonight's the night for someone here to turn from their sin and to return to God, to fast and weep and mourn and, you know, for us to get on our knees and to change. Who knows? Maybe God is ready, willing, and waiting for that change and that will change his mind and then leave behind a blessing rather than a thanangaso. You just, we just know, you know it's in the Lord's will, right? And so what we find right here, if we're serious, a God will see. Not only will God see, but others will take notice. And so we read here in Esther 4, 
in verse 4, it says, So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and to take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. And so Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. And so Mordecai is weeping and wailing and crying and he's dressed in sackcloth and ashes. Esther finds out about Mordecai and uh, she, the Bible says, was deeply distressed. And so she sent him a change of clothes, but he wouldn't change. And so Esther calls one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to her, a man by the name of Hathak, to go and, and to find out, you know, what's up with Mordecai? Why is he acting like this? And so we read in verse 7 that, that Mordecai told him everything, including the, the money that, that Haman had lobbied, you know, and had bribed the king with. We believe it's probably about three-fourths of what they would have taken in, in the entire year. That's how much money he gave to the king in order to have this whole thing take place so that he might... Notice again, it says there in verse 7 destroy the Jews. You see, and that's the war that we're in, you guys. That's the battle, you know. It's not just, you know, whether or not they're going to have like a good life. It's, it's whether or not they'll have life after death. It's a matter of, the Bible says in John 10.10, 10, the thief has come to steal and kill and to destroy. That's the agenda of the adversary. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. And so Mordecai tells her the whole thing. He also gives Hathak a copy of the document that had been sent out because he wanted her to fully understand that all the Jews were in jeopardy. And Mordecai told Hathak, he said, I want you to tell Esther to go in, to go in to the presence of the king and to plead for her people. And so we read in verse 9, So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. And she said, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go in to the king these 30 days. And so they told Mordecai Esther's words. You know, they're having this conversation. I don't know if you guys can visualize it. I, I wish they would do a movie, like a really accurate movie of it, because you can see it, right? They're having this conversation through this man, Hathak, Esther received Mordecai's message who tells her, you know, just go in and, and talk to your husband. Like, you know, what's the, what's the big deal, right? 
But Esther says it's not that simple. I mean, everybody knows it's common law that the only way you can get an audience with the king is if he invites you in. And I haven't been invited in for 30 days. And even if I did, you know, get past the security and into his presence, you know, everybody knows the law says that if you're not invited and you just go in, you can actually die as a result of that unless the king chooses to show me grace and happens to hold out his golden scepter to me. And and so, you know, again, they told Mordecai Esther's words, and we read in verse 13, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent, and that's a key word right there, silent, at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And this right here to me, is like the heart of of the message, you guys. It's almost like the heart of the whole book, you know? I mean, this right here, it hits home with me. I think in looking at this section of Scripture, you know, we can really move from that point there in verse 14. I think it all starts with Mordecai. I think coming to the the inclination, the realization that Esther had been placed there, by God. You know, it's been five years since she won the beauty contest, right? She'd won the the heart of the king and she became the queen of Persia. Think about that. And so how did, you know, that happen? How did she win the contest? How did this little orphan girl rise to the top from the very bottom of the barrel? God can do that in your life as well, right? And so, you know, you, you wonder how... And how does she go from, you know, obscurity uh, to royalty? And, and Mordecai knew the answer is God, right? It's God. But, but that's not the only question you need to ask. Not just how, but here's probably the more important question. Why? Why? Is it so that she could have all her beauty treatments? Is it so that she could live this wonderful, lush life of comfort? You know, is, it, is that why God elevated her and gave her that position to be the queen of Persia? I mean, Mordecai knew how, and now he knew why. You know, because this guy, Haman, I mean, he's, he's the devil, and he happens to work there as a perpetual enemy of God's people and he's got a plan to wipe out the Jews. And so when all this happens, I'm pretty sure that Mordecai is pretty sure that that's why Esther has been crowned queen. And so he says there in verse 14, again, those words, yet who knows? So he's not 100% sure, but he's 99.99% sure whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And you don't want to know why he's not 100% sure? Because it had to be faith. I mean, sometimes we like, we won't move unless we're 100% sure. Then where's faith? 
Faith is the key that unlocks the door to God's miracles and movements in our life. You know, we, we put the, 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 the evidence together and, uh, you know, and we know as we study the world that we live in, man, it's just such an amazing world, so marvelous. All the, the billions of galaxies and the gazillions of stars and, you know, we study, you know, uh, astronomy, we study, you know, biology, we look at the cells, we look at, you know, creation, the, the odds of life on planet Earth, and, and we put all the evidence together, and we, we just know that there's a God. It takes more faith to believe that all this is an accident than it does to believe in a, in a theistic creator who made everything. But we've never seen God. I mean, so a lot of us here have experienced Him and we've seen what God has done and there's no doubt in our mind. But what I'm saying is that there's still faith involved. And right here, when Mordecai is putting all this together, I think that that's where he's at right here. I, I'm pretty sure he says that that's why you are where you are right now. That's why, you know? I mean, in one sense, this would be the time of her life. This was, in one sense, the moment that she was made for. You know, not to sound all dramatic, you guys, or anything, but it's probably too late for that, huh? I mean, I like stuff like that. I like when we're talking about the disciples' destiny. I love it. You know, life to me, we try to enjoy every moment that we live, you know. I mean, I thank God for, you know, all the things that have happened in my life. And I just praise Him for every day, man. But there, granted, there are some moments. There are some exchanges in conversation. There are some times of prayer where God has gotten a hold of my heart and He's changed everything. There are some moments that are definitely you know, more meaningful than others. You see, and that's where Esther's at now. It says, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I mean, this was now her time. This was now the moment that she was made for. And you guys, we will cross bridges like that. We will go through testings like that. And a lot of times what happens is Christians, they, they don't pass that test. You know, for us, prayerfully our heart is right and God just shows us grace, you know, that when we're there, I mean, we'll go forward. You know, I don't know about you, but I believe in God's desire, dream, and destiny for all of us. I really do. You know, there's that beautiful passage in the book of Acts, chapter 17 and verse 26 the New English translation says, From one man he made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth, determining their set times and the fixed limits of the places where they would live. You know, I mean, God, you know, the Bible says, um, this is, you know, God saying, this is when I want you to live, and this is where I want you to live. You know, I think of my, that all the time in my own life. You know, I think about, you know, where I was born and then kind of where I was brought up and the neighborhood I was in and, and how God, you know, I was in Almani, but I wasn't here for a long time, but I was here long enough. I was here long enough for it to find a special place in my heart, right? 
And then I went and I got all that other stuff that, that went on. But man, he had already planted something in my heart. He knew where I would be born, where I would be raised because of the reasons that he has. And for you, you know, so many things that, that, that God is stirring up. I'm so excited about these missions trips to Mexico and Nepal and, and Cambodia. You know, we're going to Cambodia in June and it's such a blessing to be able to go there. But when you begin to see how God puts all the pieces of the puzzle together, and you, you know, you can see people like Esther. You can see people where God would use them. And for us, you know, we got to be open. You're like, no, I don't do missions trips. Why not? Well, it's, you know, basketball game or, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't got the money. Oh, really? You don't got the money? You mean God doesn't have the money? Is that what you're trying to say? Or you'd rather spend it on other things? A lot of times that's a problem. Well, I don't think God can use my life. I mean, bottom line is none of us are able. None of us are worthy. I promise you that if you take a step of faith, God will blow your mind. God will work in you. You'll never be the same. God will use you. You know, this is where we live. I believe, and not only that, you know, Almani or, or whatever, you know, but America. Do you know how rich you are in comparison to the rest of the world? And what do we use all that money for? One day we're going to stand before God and we'll give an account. And I'll tell you what, if you can't go, if you're like, man, I just can't go, I'm physically not able to go, my job won't let me go, whatever. If you can't go, then maybe you can send. But see, all this is like, man, Esther, wow, this is what you were, you were made for. This is your beauty shining now as God has put you in this place to make that difference. You know, God has put us exactly where He wants us to be when He wants us to be there. And we need to embrace that. And we need to go on and to do our best to discover that. You know, I truly believe with all my heart that we were, that we were saved to serve. You know, is that your life? I mean, you know, some people will say, well, you're a pastor. You know, you're supposed to be like consumed with the ministry. No, just being a pastor means that that's my specific place in the body. We're all supposed to be consumed with the ministry. I mean, we're all supposed to have eyes to evangelize. We're all supposed to be reaching out to the lost to find out what our gifts are and, you know, discover, develop and deploy. We're all supposed to be busy about his business. That's what we were made for. Not just to have a good time, but to share the good news. Somehow, some way, we're part of the body so that that can take place. We were saved to serve. Remember back in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, it says in verse 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Everyone knows that verse, right? That's how we're saved. But then right after that he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You see, we're not saved by works. We're His work. And those works that He has called us to do, there's something that we should walk in. 
Now, don't get me wrong. The best part of being saved is knowing the Lord. I pray that you know Him, that you fall in love with Him, because I think that everything flows from that personal and intimate relationship with God. But the second best part of being saved is serving Him. You know, and you find out what your roles and responsibilities are as, as, a, as a husband, as a dad, as a, as a wife, as a mom, as a single person completely sanctified and set apart into Him. That's holiness. I belong to God. You know, we have to be so careful not to be conformed to this world. You know, I always tell guys, you know, remember, it's not about a paycheck. It's about a purpose. It's not about, you know, the, the cash or the casual, comfortable, cozy California Christianity. It's not the cash. It's the calling of God on your life. What is it that God has made you and called you to do and you find out and then you run with it, right? I mean, we all have that inclination, I think, to play it safe and to be secure, and, and what ends up happening is then we struggle spiritually. You know, we need to know that we're not here for us. We're here for God. As a matter of fact, Mordecai is so convinced that this is the calling for his little cousin that he tells her, listen, he says there in verse 13, if you don't do what's right and obey because you're trying to play it safe and selfish, then God is going to send relief and deliverance some other way but you will die. You're going to die. That's crazy, huh? You and your father's house will perish. Now, I read that, and it's interesting to me, fascinating, that even though Esther clearly has been put there by God in His perfect providence, she still has a choice to make. You guys know that? Do you guys know that you're not a robot you guys know that? I mean, God won't force you. You're not a puppet. You know, some people say, well, God's sovereign. You know, he's going you know, to make me obey or whatever. And, you know, he brings it to pass. I mean, the, uh, this is the amazing thing about God. That all of us here, we, we, in one sense, man, we do whatever we want. And I don't know how you ended up here tonight. Some of you guys wanted to come. Some of you got drug here. Someone made you come, right? And you're like... You know, but you're here. Um, but for those of you who actually wanted to come and chose to come, praise God for that. You know, I always tell you guys, you know, I'm probably afterwards going to go home and have a quesadilla. That's my choice, right? You know, uh, potato chips, peanuts, yogurt. I mean, you name it. I go through life. I, I, you know, okay, let's watch this on iTunes. And, you know, I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to wake up. I mean, I'm living my whole life. Series of choices. All of us are like that. We're making choices. I want to watch the Laker game. No, I like the Clippers. I mean, you name it. There's a million things that we choose to do. All of us here are living life like that. But the amazing thing is that even though everyone's doing what they want to do, Haman wants to kill him. The king signs it into law. Mordecai's weeping and wailing. Esther's, you know, scratching her head. At the end of the day, God's purpose will be accomplished. Even though he's not forcing anybody to do anything. Even though everyone here is making their choices, isn't it amazing how at the end of the day, God's purpose will be accomplished? That to me is so awesome. You know, the Jews, they're going to be protected. 
They're going to be preserved. Mordecai says, hey, if you don't do it, God's going to raise up. He doesn't use the word God, but he said, deliverance will arise from another person. God's still going to get his way. You're going to be the one who's going to miss out. You know, and that's a trip to me, you know. I mean, Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to His purpose. And, and what that means, I mean, I think ultimately what that means is that one day, you guys, when we're home in heaven, not one will be missing. That, that's, that's God's overall providential plan. You know, when we look at this right here, we see that this is the ultimate meaning of Romans 8.28. You know, Mordecai does his best to convince Esther that this is the real reason she's been swooped up and taken into the kingdom for such a time as this. And, it, and it's not necessarily even that God needs her. You know, like God's pacing back and forth and crossing his fingers and hoping that she'll come through because otherwise he doesn't know what he's going to do to preserve the race. It's not like that. You know, the primary question is, do I want to please God and be used by him? You see, at the end of the day, Mordecai trusts God to accomplish his will, right? But did you notice that even in that trust, there's an urgency? Did you notice that? Even though he knows it will be done, they will be saved. Did you guys notice that there's an urgency here? He's weeping, he's wailing, he's crying with sackcloth and ashes, he's praying, and he's just trying his best to be an influence to Esther as he sees it with God's eyes. He sees it. That's why she's there. I mean, to me, that is awesome when you have that theological balance, you know? I mean, some people take the sovereignty of God to a place that it doesn't belong. You know, I'm reminded of the true story of William Carey, who wanted to be a missionary to India. And so one day he goes before the board and he says, Hey, I want to go to India. I want to share the gospel with them. I want people to get saved. And you guys remember the classic response there from those board, those Calvinistic theological, you know, guys. Uh, what did they say? They said, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen world, he will do it without your help or mine. And, and what was happening was they believed so much in the sovereignty of God and, and Calvinism and it's going to get done, you know, that they themselves did nothing. You know, they, they just said, sit down. You know, shut up. And I thank God that William Carey didn't listen to them. He became, a lot of people would give him credit as a vessel that God used as uh, the father of modern day missions. Because yeah, we believe in the sovereignty of God, yeah. But it doesn't take away the urgency within our hearts. You know, we pray as if it all depends on God and we work as if it all depends on us. And that's kind of the way we find that balance. It's God exercising his sovereignty combined with man, rising to his responsibility, neither is violated. And at the end of the day, the only question is whether or not you and I will be involved. He says, Esther, Miha, I'm not 100% sure. 
but I'm pretty sure you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And in all reality, those words can be directed to you and me. I mean, I think they can, if I could just say them to you. Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, and I know it's tough, you guys. You know, how many of you here, you probably feel that you're not worthy? Okay, join the club, man. I'm, I'm not worthy. I blow it sometimes with my wife. I don't take it wrong. I don't take it lightly, but... You know, I'm not worthy. I'm not able, right? You know, and, and this, man, the, the enemy will do whatever he can to just keep you stuck in your seat. They'll just say, sit down and, and stay down. It's so much easier to stay seated. It's so much easier to, to stay silent. It's so much easier just to stay alive. I mean, that's what Esther could have done. I mean, stay seated, stay silent, stay alive. That's what she would be thinking in her heart. But the truth is, you know, uh, some people, they don't want to go on maybe an overseas missions trip. Why? Because they're afraid to fly. You're not afraid to fly. You're afraid to die. (laughs) But you shouldn't be afraid to die because if you're a Christian, you're bathed in the blood of Jesus, what's going to happen to you when you die? Man, I can't wait to go to heaven where pizza will be good for you. I cannot wait. I I look forward to that day. You know, we're not afraid to die, right? We're not afraid, man, to be moved out of our comfort zone. Some people don't want to, you know, inch any further in the ministry involvement. And they definitely don't want to go deep. And yet God says that's the only place to be. You guys, I pray that you're not just, this is not just like a part of your life. You know, God's got like a part of my life. No, God is all of your life. He loves you. He made you. Some of you people, some of you here, you're weird. You know, you're weird. You know, if I could use Katie for an example, she's not weird, but you know, there's something about her, her dad would tell me, you know, there's something about her growing up that kind of had this, this missionary heart and for whatever reason, there was an extra compassion for people. She would be the first to acknowledge the fact that that was not her, that was God. You know, and just different things that, you know, not afraid to, you know, step through the mud and just different things. You guys, you got to acknowledge your unique creativity that God has placed in your life and then just go from there and just follow that call. God can use your life, but you can't stay paralyzed by fear. You know, I praise God that Esther eventually came to her senses And we read in verse 15, And then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. And she said, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And so Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther said commanded him. Esther says, okay, tell Mordecai to have everyone fast for me, not to eat or drink for three days. We'll do the same on our end and then I'll go into the king and if I die, I die. You know, and I just think, man, the courage of this young lady and we don't know how old she was. I mean, maybe 
You know, she was uh, 20 years old. I'm not sure, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger. She's been queen now for about five years. And, and so she's definitely a young adult. And you young adults, you are not too young to change the world. Neither are you us old adults. We're, we're not too old either, okay? I mean, do you guys, you know, we just have to be willing to take up our cross and, and die. That's the bottom line. You know, I think of her going into the king's presence. It reminds me a little bit of Moses going before Pharaoh or David, you know, battling Goliath or Paul on his way to Jerusalem. If you guys remember that story, God, I called Paul to Jerusalem and a lot of Christians were trying to convince him not to go, right? And they were just telling him, hey, chains and tribulations await you if you go that route. But Paul said in Acts 20, 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is the ministry that God gave me. And I don't care if I die, my life is not dear to myself. Nothing will stop me. Nothing will move me from what God made me to do. You know, if we're afraid to die, then we will never live. I'm sure you've heard that before, right? I, heard, I read a poem. It says, there was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked. He never tried. He never sang or prayed. And when he one day passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he never really lived, they claimed he never died. (laughs) Are you really living? I pray, you guys, we would be really living by not being afraid of dying. We must not be afraid to die and we must not be afraid to speak encourage you guys, do not commit the sin of silence. Oh, I I won't, you know, talk about Jesus because I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to be rejected. Well, that's the sin of silence. You know what Jesus said? If you are afraid to confess me before men, then I won't confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Like I said before in the very beginning, One day I was at work. I was just throwing some apples up on the table, working with my friend Gus. And man, just real simple. All he said is, hey, you ever go to church? I'm all, yeah, go to St. Christopher's. Why? What's up? You know, and I didn't know the Lord. And he's like, oh, well, how about you? You ever go to church? Yeah, I go to Calvary Chapel. Really? He's all, "You, you should come one day. You should come one day. It changed my life. But a lot of times people don't want to say anything. You guys, do not be silent. Do not stay seated down. Rise and go in. Take that step of faith and you watch what God will do. Hudson Taylor, the great man of faith who founded the China Inland Mission, he integrated faith and risk. And he said, unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, There is no need for faith. 
And so there's got to be that element. She's all, well, if I, I die, I, I die. There's that risk involved. But you guys got to know this, and we'll close with this, that it is at the end of the day, it's a calculated risk. Because what does she say? Hey, you guys fast. And it would be hard to do, right? I mean, it's hard to not eat for three days. Imagine not eating or drinking for three days. How many of you here would go crazy without a cup of coffee? Just out of curiosity. You know, but man, seeking the Lord, that absolute fast, not only for her protection, but I believe also for the wisdom every step of the way. And we're going to see that she's going to go in. She's going to ask him, hey, do you you know, come and have a meal with me? We're going to do this you know, party. And then she's all, okay, so what do you want? And she says, well, let's do this again. And what ends up happening is God gives Esther the whole plan, right? And what that is, is God answering prayers, I believe, in what would be, we would call a calculated risk. It's not just, you know, like testing God. I'm just going to go in and, and, you know, whatever. No, it's like praying and finding out the divine details and then just watching God move from there. Because God will show you. You know, Esther is a picture of Jesus. And what she is, is, you know, Jesus has gone into the, the throne room. He's gone to the Father, he's gone like to the top, and, uh, and he's paved the way now that we can go in. I mean, what a contrast between how it was then and how you couldn't go in unless the king invited you. And you guys know this, that as Christians, we can go in at any time, huh? As Christians, because of the blood of Jesus, we can actually go in and we can pray and come boldly before his throne. Isn't that cool? It's really cool, you guys. So I pray that you would just be blessed in your relationship with Christ. I pray that if you're, you're here today as a Christian, that you would just really listen to the Lord and just ask Him, God, what do you want me to do? And that you would then follow through with His marching orders. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian or you've been struggling or you've drifted away, I pray that you would get right with God pray that you would know his love and his mercy and his compassion because we don't want to just come and leave the same way we came man especially when there is an opportunity for us to experience his love and his power and god can give us a new beginning we hope you were encouraged by this study if you have any questions please call us at calvary chapel el Monte at air code 626 626- Four five four, three four one four. Remember that Jesus loves you.